G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. You're listening to Momentum, a show that helps men succeed in life. And as we delve into this week's topic, a reminder that some of the content may be of a sensitive nature. Now, here's your hosts, Tim and Dez. Well, welcome to this week's Momentum. It is uh, Tim and Dez with you once again, and wherever you are around Australia right now, thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, Really appreciate you doing that. A quick point to our website before we launch into this week's show, MomentumAustralia.org. You can give us some feedback, maybe ask a question, check out previous shows, and maybe even consider financially supporting this uh, ministry as well. But uh, really great to have you here. As it is, of course, my co-host, friend and colleague, Des Kennedy. How are you this week, my friend? I'm good. I'm really good. You know, it's exciting this week because we actually have a new support line for men. Mm. And it's something we've been talking about for a while, but we have the Momentum Care Line. And the amazing thing is we've got an amazing number and an easy number for men to remember. And it's one 800 0 men which is 636, so 1-800-000-MEN. Uh, the service provided by our friends at Careline Connections, and if you're interested in setting up a similar facility, uh, carelineconnections.org.au. But in, in Momentum's case, you can reach out and get help seven days a week from 9 a.m. to 11 p.m., 1-800-000-MEN. Yeah, one eight hundred triple zero. Men, use that number if you need, and spread it around to other guys as well. Because uh, as we know, it is important that we stay connected and have conversations at times. Don't do life on your own. If you've got nobody around that you feel like you can have a confidential conversation with, uh, ring the care line one eight hundred triple zero six three six. You know, on momentum this year, we've spoken a lot with guests about certain topics. This week, giving a heads up is going to be a little different, but it's going to be an incredible story that I want you to tune in and listen to. It's an incredible story of transformation. Our guest this week is a continuous improvement specialist. It's a big word. I'll get you to explain that later on. He's also John Maxwell, certified coach, teacher, and speaker. He's a passionate guy about developing capacity, capability in people through training, coaching, and mentoring to benefit them and the organizations they work with. He's also got a huge heart and a desire for unity among the church at large. You know, when you hear all of that, and it's all good stuff, and we'll get him to explain what some of it actually means, but it's hard to believe that during a previous stage in his life, this guy was lost, directionless, and on a very self-destructive path of drug addiction. Our special guest in this week's Momentum is Bobby Aitken. Great to have you here, Bobby. Good to be here. Thanks, gents. It's fascinating. We've got an Englishman, an Irishman, and a Scotsman all in one place and agreeing <laughs> at the same time. But what is important to note is his birthday is St. Patrick's Day. That is highly important. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, Welcome, Bobby. Ticking all the boxes on this week's momentum. But uh, look, let's uh, let's launch into your story, Bobby, because it is a powerful one of transformation, as we've alluded to. And I just want the guys listening to, to stay tuned because, um, you know, wherever you are on your journey, whether it's a faith journey or not, it might be applicable to your life right now. But uh, your journey starts back in 1976. Bobby, you don't look that old, mate. 17th of March, you were born. Tell us a bit about your uh, your early early life, your upbringing, etc. back in Scotland. Uh, well, look, as I said, I can't take much kind of credit for when I was born. I just uh, 
I came along at the time that I was supposed to come along, and I was the second of three sons born into my family. My father was an executive in the oil and gas industry. I grew up um, in the northeast of Scotland. For those that maybe aren't aware, Aberdeen is known as the oil capital of Europe, and a lot of people in that area work for directly for the oil industry or for industries supporting the oil industry in that area. Um, and so, like many others, my father was in the oil and gas industry, um, went on to become an international executive in that space. Um, my mother was a former nurse who... Um, Moved into being a stay-at-home mom while she had three young boys and then moved back into business later on in life. So what was your early family life like? So I suppose, starting point, I've got nothing else to compare it to. It was the only one I had. So <laughs> um, my home life was, um, it was a nice, friendly, relaxed environment. My father, due to the industry that he was in, and the more and more he got promoted and got to senior levels, the more he was away from home traveling, um, which then put obviously more of the more of the pressure on my mom, who was entirely capable to look after the three of us. But yeah, we, we grew up in an environment where my father traveled a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, we, we would he would come home when he was home due to the business. He was always working, sat with his laptop, sat with his computer. Um, and if he was either away or when he was home, frequently he was sat in front of watching the sport or on the golf course. Yeah. So it, it sounds like he was fairly absent from your life, Bobby. Is that a fair thing to say? I mean, you, he was kind of around, but not particularly active in you and your brother's lives at a young age. Uh, look, um, when we were much younger, he was more present. But as we grew up and he got busier, then he was less and less around. And to the point where at one point in time, he was w working three to six months in Africa. Oh. And then he would come home for short stints and then be away and things like that. And um, yeah, look, I, I, I want to make this very clear. I, I love my dad to bits. Um, his, and anybody who's read Chapman's Love Languages and things like that, his way of showing us love was to make sure that we were provided for, that we always had a home, that we always had everything we needed. Mm. And for him to do that, he used the skills that he had and he went into business and he went into jobs. And so for him traveling, that was part of his way of showing that he loved us because he was engaging in work and things like that that were important for how he wanted to show us love. Mm. Well, that's, a, that's a good perspective on that, by the way. Uh, mm. I'm not sure all sons who are in that situation would have that same positive perspective. So that's really cool. Well, look, I mean, I, I, I've got to be, I've got to be honest, Des, at the time I didn't. Yeah. Right. He just wasn't there and I didn't get it. When I was younger, that wasn't my perspective of things, but as you grow up, as you mature, as you begin to understand that parents are actually people too, trying to do the best that they can with what they've got, you yeah. begin mm. to learn and understand to see a perspective. And let's be honest, when we become parents ourselves, that vastly shifts the paradigm of understanding parenthood. Yes. Mm. yes. Yeah, for sure. But Bobby, we're going to fast forward to 1988 and you're around 12 years of age, I think at this stage. And you know, you had your first encounter with drugs and it was marijuana. Before we launch into that part of the story, do you think that where your relationship with your parents and your dad 
and your brothers was at at that stage. Was there stuff happening in the backstory that kind of led you down that path? Or was there another reason why at the age of 12, you, you suddenly decided that this was something you try? Yeah, um, look, I think it, it wasn't so much anything going on negatively at, at home. Um, I, I, by the age of 12, I grew up in a small village. And I know people joke about it now, but effectively we were allowed to get up, grab our bikes, take off out the driveway as long as we were back in time for dinner. Hmm. So I had the freedom to move around the village, to go and hang out in the park. And nobody really asked what I was up to. That being said, at that point in time, you're young, you're looking to kind of hang out with a crew. You're trying to become part of the peer group and things like that. And it was that those combination of those things put me in a scenario where the peer group I was trying to connect into, they happened to be smoking marijuana. And so was it the, being part of the group, was that what the appeal was? I mean, was the marijuana itself appealing or was it the fact that you were with know your peers and you're one of the buddies and one of the guys so i would i would say initially it was about being involved in the peer group yeah but then after a while it became about the opportunity to smoke dope because oh, okay. and the, the reason i know the shift is because you get to the point where you quite ha- I, I well i got to the point where i'd quite happily smoke dope on my own right hmm. that's where you know there's a shift from it being about the peer group to being about the thing itself yeah it's an interesting distinction. Let, let me just ask about then your brothers and your family at large. Did they have any idea that this was happening for you? Were your brothers in on this? Did you share this with them? Or was this just a solitary thing that you were kind of doing without your family aware of what was happening? Oh, look, I think um, my elder brother would definitely have been aware of what was going on. I mean, it's a small town. Um, my younger brother wouldn't have been initially because he was three years younger, so he wasn't really involved. But as time went on and he grew up, he became aware of that. And that was, I mean, that was all part and parcel of the time we grew up and the social groups we connected with. Did that sort of impact your relationship with uh, your brothers and parents? As I mentioned earlier, I'm a middle child. Yeah. So my brothers have always been closer with each other than I ever have been with either of them. Oh, right. Okay. Mm. Mm. So... From that point of view, that never really changed. I mean, we still had a, we had times where we related well, and we had times where we didn't. I mean, that's yeah. that's part of being brothers growing up. Um, I, I think there was times it became a point of connection for my brothers and I, and times it was a point of difference, and we clashed over certain things as a result. But yeah, I I don't think I don't think that at that point in time, certainly not at that young age, because. As I say, it was small amounts. It wasn't vast quantities. At that age, it didn't really create a massive problem between me and my family per se. That mm. didn't really happen until later on. No. Okay, well, let, let's talk about the progression, Bobby, because you went from using to dealing. And um, tell, tell us a bit about how you progressed from just being a user to then actually dealing this stuff to other kids in the village. Look, that, that really came about predominantly because of what we said, right? My my personal requirement and how much dope I personally wanted increased. Mm. I didn't have a job. I didn't have a way of funding it. So the fact that I knew other people wanted this and I could become a conduit for them meant that I would effectively reduce my costs in acquiring marijuana, et cetera, at the same time as meeting a need that was already there. So to me, and this was the way that I did begin to distinguish it, 
I never went out offering people drugs. Yeah. Right. Because the, the, the whole symbolism that came about of drug pushers and people that are forcing people to become addicts and all that. Mm. I'm, I, I was at peace with myself that what I was doing wasn't wrong because I never gave it to someone who didn't ask for it. Okay. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 And I know it's I know it's a bit twisted and it's a bit of a kind of get out of jail free card for some people <laughs> thinking. But that was how I made sense of the fact that I wasn't doing something wrong. Yeah. Hmm. And and I suppose on that basis, that's how the reason why it didn't affect your relationship with your parents, for example, because you didn't feel you were doing anything wrong. So it was just business as usual. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at that point in time. I wasn't going out there causing trouble. I wasn't yeah. going out there start, you know, getting in fights and all this kind of stuff that are real antisocial behavior. I'd go out, get stoned and sit somewhere and watch TV or listen to music or, you know what I mean? It was, it wasn't something where I thought, look, okay, I'm a, I'm a troublemaker by any yeah. stretch of the imagination. And because of the, mm. the frequency of that in the communities that I was in, everybody else was doing it too. So it was yeah. so normalized. Mm. Mm. Things did take a turn though, Bobby, and we're going to explore that on the other side of the break. Things did eventually go from bad to worse and you lost your relationship with your family, but then had an incredible transformation, which is all on the other side of this break. It's an interesting story. Our special guest is Bobby Aitken here on Momentum this week. While we take a short break, encourage you to have a quick squeeze around the website, MomentumAustralia.org, and we're going to hear the next part of Bobby's story on the other side of this break right here on Momentum. Stay tuned. This is Momentum a show that helps men succeed in life. Find out more at MomentumAustralia.org. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 You're listening to Momentum, a show that helps men succeed in life. Find out more at MomentumAustralia.org. Well, welcome back to the show. Thanks for hanging around and uh, tuning back in. It's Tim and Des with you, and our special guest this week is uh, Bobby Aitken. Just a quick point before we launch back in with Bobby, uh, MomentumAustralia.org, our website, and as Des mentioned at the beginning of the show, a brand new Momentum Care Line that you can call between 9 and 11 in seven days a week. The number is one 800 000636. If you're in need of a confidential conversation with someone in a safe environment, please, please call the care line. Reach out 1-800-000-636. Uh, so Bobby Aitken is our special guest. Bobby has an amazing story of uh, transformation and we're just finding out a bit about his uh, early childhood of uh, drugs and uh, from going to being a user to a, a dealer. Uh, and this relationship that he had with his parents and his family and how that's uh, starting to get affected by what is happening. How did it affect you? Did you feel the effects of, of the drugs? Did they make you feel more self-confident? Did they make you feel schizophrenic? Or <laughs> what was the impact <laughs> on you um, and your multiple personalities? <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting because now, look, I'm, I'm going through the place where People constantly come up to me and they tell me, oh, you're always on the go. You're always doing stuff. You're always here, there and everywhere and involved. And to be honest, I'm actually getting assessed for to whether I've got ADHD. Yeah. But when I was younger, I suppose I was constantly stoned. So wow. I was much more chilled. I didn't go running all over the place. I wasn't doing lots of stuff all the time. 
Um, and in fact, one of my friends, her husband asked my dad. So my one of my friends um, in ministry, a lady called Wendy Yap, and her husband have become quite good friends with my parents. And um, Kai Seen had asked my dad what I was like as a kid because they were like, he must have been all over the shop. And my dad was like, well, no, not really. Uh-huh. Um, and, the, and thinking back, I probably was just in that constantly stone state. And then yeah. anybody who's read recent reports on the effects would see that the the impact of smoking can last anywhere between four and 24 hours and wow. things like that. So, yeah, I, I suppose I, I would have been, but again, it's, I didn't, I got to the point where I didn't know any different. Yes. It was the normal for you. So it was my normal yeah. state. It was just how things were. 1994, you're about 17, 18. You were, you say you were introduced to then taking speed. Um, and this was at a party. So this is a progression, obviously from marijuana. Tell us about that. Yeah, look, so what happened was I, I came back, I because I really didn't enjoy, I enjoyed the schooling, but I didn't enjoy living with a bunch of people who constantly made you feel like an outsider. So I basically yeah. didn't want to carry on at boarding school. And as a result, I left, I came back to the local um, government run academy. Right. And... That, that, again, gave me the freedom to be out wandering about doing everything. One of my friends, and, and well, he was a friend at the time, hasn't really been since, um, an English guy had invited, he was having a huge house party, his, friend, his parents were away, and he and a couple of others had organized to get our, our whole group of friends a load of speed. And I'd never tried mm-hmm. speed before, some of them had. So I went along to the party and tried speed for the first time. Again, all my mates were doing it. I'm kind of in that group. Um, just just to put that in context, I, I had kind of been involved in light touch on LSD and some of these things I tried before, but never amphetamines. Describe speed to me because I have no idea what that is. Sorry, so I'm an old bloke. <laughs> what we got as speed was amphetamines, basically a crushed up white powder that you would snore. To, oh, I mean, right. you could have smoked it if you want, but that was basically the way that we did. Okay. You chopped it up, you ground it into powder, and you snorted it. Uh, okay. And how did that make you feel? For me, I would take speed because speed would make you alert. It would make you awake. You could stay yeah. up for days. I mean, literally, we would we would start partying on a Thursday night and go to sleep on Sunday. Wow. Um, that that was the kind of environment that kind of evolved from that. But for me, it meant that I could smoke dope for longer. <laughs> yeah. Because when, when you smoke dope, you typically get really drowsy and you get uh, to the point where you almost nod off, uh, right? Yeah, if you yeah. smoke so much of it, right? Right. But if I, if, if I took speed, I didn't have that problem. And yeah, look, they had parties, lots of dance music, all these kind of things. Um, and that was that just opened another doorway that moved into from speed ecstasy then became a big thing and and then cocaine Bobby, I think what we're going to do is we're going to pause it there for this week's show. And I know we haven't got to the bit where you get transformed and set free. And there's a whole other story that we're going to go on. And we're going to save that for next week's show. But as we as we wrap up this week's show, let me just ask you this. Um, when you look back. Um, and we've talked about the sense of belonging. We've talked about then the fact that you actually did enjoy getting high. But for, for guys listening right now, if they perhaps are on some of this journey, maybe they've had some struggles in this area too. 
When you look back, do you see that there was something deep within you that you were trying to mask, like a sense of pain? Was it perhaps your father's absence that was actually causing you to step into this space, to, to numb out, to that sort of thing? And for guys listening, do you, if you can offer some advice in that space, if there's some wisdom or advice you can take from your journey just to leave with the guys this week. Yeah, look, as I said at the beginning of my journey, it was about fitting in. Yeah. I, the crowd I chose to try and fit in with were the ones that put me, that exposed me for the first time. And a number of times along the journey, it was about wanting to fit in, wanting to connect with those around me. Um, and I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to disconnect and not take responsibility for the fact it was my choice to do what I did. It was my choice that entered in. But I wanted to connect with somebody, and the, the these people were people who would take me in and make make me feel like I was part of something. Yeah, um, it was right. easy. It was it was easy. All I had to do was take drugs, and I fit it in. I was just going to say, there's no sense of belonging at home necessarily because your father was away and all that sort of stuff. You'd been to boarding school, I and mean, all those were really triggers. And that you meet this group of guys who seemed to be in the same planet as you, and it was easy to fit in with them. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, the, the weirdest thing is, all the way through this journey, I remember distinctly, even when I was in a crowded room with a whole bunch of people that were as high as I was, I still felt entirely alone, and I knew wow. that I had never fixed the problem of feeling alone. Mm. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. That's a powerful way to end this week's show. We're going to leave it there. But can I say, if that is you right now, for whatever reason that you feel alone in your life and you want to reach out and have a confidential conversation with someone, I'm going to point you to our Momentum Care Line. It is a brand new feature and we're so excited that it's there. 1-800-000-MEN. That's 1-800-000-636. Please pick up the phone, have a confidential conversation with someone if you feel like you need to. Reach out and do not do life on your own. MomentumAustralia.org is our website. I encourage you to check that out and have a look around Momentum and what we do. But excited to hear the second part of Bobby's story next week. We'd love you to tune in for that because eventually in 19 1998 things reach a point and there's an incredible transformation from where bobby was to where he is today and that's going to be next week's show my thanks to bobby des look forward to having you back on the show next week mate and looking forward to you tuning in as well to momentum next week take care you've been listening to momentum a show that helps men succeed in life for more information or to hear this week's show again go to momentumaustralia.org you can also access a whole range of resources to help you on your journey and to get in touch with the team at MomentumAustralia.org. Until next time, keep moving forward with Momentum.